Hello again everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers. So today we're going to do a broadcast on uh, the Fed, BlackRock, and you. So this is going to be hopefully informative. Um, I think it should be because there's a lot of information to go over. Um, hopefully I can get this down to about an hour. <laughs> but the, the bigger key is uh, the idea that... Um, we are owned by people. Um, there's certain things that are going on in the world and we have to be aware of them. And it's better to know who's pulling your strings and then we need to figure out a way to cut loose those uh, particular strings uh, from our, what would you say, our, our bodies. Um, we should have the right to be free and we should have the right to make decisions on our own accord. But too many people at the very top of this food chain uh, don't want that, and they've been working towards that for many years, and this is now their time. They see it as their time. They're led by people who are dupes and suckers themselves, and they you can almost see it on their faces. Oh, don't, don't mistake in their, um, their uh, exasperation with caring. Uh, their exasperation is knowing what kind of evil they've signed on to and that they continue to uh, do against uh, the populace at large. And they know many of them are not aware of this. Those that are aware of this are, are waking up and they know that and that scares them because they know at some point or another uh, these things never end well. But we'll start from... Um, start from a um, standpoint of listening to someone talk about the Fed. They say that money doesn't grow on trees, but the truth is that the modern banking system creates currency far faster than trees can grow. Most people don't have a clue how currency is created. Economists and bankers make it sound so complex that people think they can't understand it. But I'm going to strip our monetary system down to its essence so that you can see the scam behind the curtain and just how it affects you. Every modern society creates currency in pretty much the same way. But since the US dollar is the majority of the world's currency, I'm going to use the United States as our example. It all starts when some politician says, vote for me and I'll make sure the government provides you more free stuff than my opponent will. But there's no such thing as a free lunch. So to provide that supposedly free stuff, the politicians vote for the country to spend more than its income. This is called deficit spending. To pay for that deficit spending, the Treasury borrows currency by issuing a bond. So what's a bond? If you think about it, a bond is really nothing but a glorified IOU. It's a pretty piece of paper with numbers printed on it that says, loan me a trillion dollars today and I promise over a 10 year period I'm gonna pay you back that trillion dollars plus interest. But what you need to understand is that Treasury bonds are our national debt. These glorified IOUs are to be paid back by you and I and our descendants through future taxation. Therefore, when the government issues a bond, it steals prosperity out of the future so that it can spend it today. The Treasury then holds a bond auction, and the world's largest banks show up and compete to buy part of our national debt and make a profit on it by earning interest. You'll notice that as we move through this process, the big banks are there taking a cut every step of the way. This isn't by chance, as you'll see shortly. Then, through a shell game called open market operations, the banks get to sell some of those bonds to the Federal Reserve at a profit. 
To pay for the bonds, the Federal Reserve opens up its big old checkbook and writes bad, bogus, counterfeit checks that should bounce because they're drawn on an account that always has a zero balance, there isn't one penny in there. To quote from the Boston Federal Reserve, when you or I write a check, there must be sufficient funds in our account to cover that check. But when the Federal Reserve writes a check, there is no bank deposit on which that check is drawn. When the Federal Reserve writes a check, it is creating money. The Fed then hands those checks to the banks, and at this point, currency springs into existence. The banks then take that currency and buy more bonds at the next treasury auction. But what is a check? A check is also an IOU. When you write a check, you're making a note that says, here's my IOU for cash. All you have to do is go to the bank and pick it up. Now it's very, very important that you understand this process because we're going to come back later and show you the devastating effect this has on you. The Treasury issues IOUs, bonds. The banks then buy those IOUs with currency. The Federal Reserve then writes IOUs, checks, and hands them to the banks in exchange for the Treasury's IOUs, the bonds. And currency is created. So what's really happening is the Federal Reserve and the Treasury are just swapping IOUs using the banks as middlemen, and abracadabra, presto, currency magically springs into existence. This process repeats and repeats over and over again, enriching the banks and indebting the public by raising the national debt. The end result is that there's a buildup of bonds at the Federal Reserve and currency at the Treasury. This process is also where all paper currency comes from. The Federal Reserve and the government mistakenly call it base money because they didn't watch episode one of this series and they don't know the difference between money and currency. But I will correctly refer to it as base currency because it is not money. It is currency, and as we've learned, there is a big difference. Money has to be a store of value and maintain its purchasing power over long periods of time. We learned in episode one that earlier in our history, our paper currency was just a claim check. It was a representation for real money of intrinsic value, the gold and silver that was held on deposit at the treasury. You could walk into any bank and slap your currency, like say a $20 bill, on the counter and redeem it for real money, a $20 gold piece. But now, this base currency that's piling up back here is really nothing but a receipt or a claim check on an IOU, that bond. So it's really nothing but a supply of numbers. The Treasury then deposits the newly created currency into the various branches of the government, and the politicians say, hey, thanks for that. And the government does some deficit spending on public works, social programs, and war. The government employees, contractors, and soldiers then deposit their pay in the banks. Now this may come as a shock to you, but when you deposit your currency with the bank, you're not actually depositing it into an account to be safely held in trust for you. Instead, you're actually loaning the bank your currency, and within certain legal limits, they can do with it pretty much anything they please. This includes gambling in the stock market and loaning it out, at a profit, of course. Now this is where the machine of currency creation really gets cranking, because this is where something called fractional reserve lending comes into play. Fractional reserve lending is exactly what it says. The banks are allowed to reserve only a fraction of your deposit and loan the rest out. Although reserve ratios may vary, I'm going to use a 10% reserve ratio as our example. If you deposit $100 in your account, the bank can legally take $90 of it and loan it out without telling you. The bank must hold $10 of your deposit in reserve just in case you want some of it. 
These reserves are called vault cash. But why does your bank account still say you have $100 if the bank has stolen $90 of it? Because the bank left IOUs it created, called bank credit, in its place. Now I know this sounds crazy, but here it is in black and white from the Fed. Commercial banks create checkbook money when they grant a loan simply by adding new deposit dollars in accounts on their books in exchange for a borrower's IOU. These are nothing but numbers that the banks type into their computers. And even though these bank credit IOU numbers are very different from base currency numbers, because they only exist in computers, they are still currency. So now there is $190 in existence. Now the reason people take out loans from the banks is to buy something. They're going to buy a house or a car or something like that. So the borrower takes the $90 that the bank loaned to him from your account and he pays the seller of the item. But then the seller deposits that currency into his account and his bank loans out 90% of that and leaves bank credit numbers in its place. So now there's $271 in existence. This process repeats and repeats until under a 10% reserve ratio, an initial deposit of just $100 can create up to $1,000 of bank credit, all backed by $100 of vault cash, just 10%. But as I said, reserve ratios vary wildly. On some deposits, it's 10%. On others, it's 3%. And on some forms of deposits, reserve requirements are zero. The result is that the expansion of the currency supply by the banks is far greater than even this example would lead you to believe. So once again, when currency is deposited in the banks, the banks get to lend it out, and then it gets redeposited and relent, redeposited and relent, redeposited and relent over and over again, creating bank credit all the way. This is where the vast majority of our currency supply comes from. In fact, 92 to 96% of all currency in existence is created, not by the government, but here in the banking system. Now. Massive amounts of currency spewing into society may at first sound like a fun idea. That is, until you remember one of the most important hidden secrets of money from episode one. That the prices of everyday goods and services act as a sponge on an expanding currency supply. The more currency we have, the more prices rise. This is where inflation comes from. The true definition of inflation is an expansion of the currency supply. Rising prices are merely the symptom. So our entire currency supply is nothing but a couple of bucks whipped up in this hocus-pocus scam where the Treasury and the Federal Reserve swap glorified IOUs and a bunch of numbers that the banks just type into their computers. That's it. That's our entire currency supply. It's nothing but a supply of numbers. Some of them printed, most of them typed, and there is nothing else. But if you thought that was crazy, get ready to enter the twilight zone of modern economics. We work for some of that currency supply. True wealth is your time, but we trade away moments of our lives, hour by hour, day by day, and year by year, for numbers that somebody printed on pieces of paper or just typed into a computer. Now those numbers represent our blood, sweat, tears, labor, ideas, and talent. We are what gives the currency its value. But here comes the really cruel joke. We work hard, so that we can save some of that currency, so that we can pay the tax collector in the United States, it's known as the IRS. 
They then turn it over to the Treasury so that the Treasury can pay the principal plus interest on that bond that the Federal Reserve bought with a check drawn on an account that has nothing in it. Now let's do a recap on this section because this is where the system begins to rob you and I on a massive scale. Much of our taxes are not used for schools, roads, and public services, but to pay interest on bonds that the Federal Reserve bought with a check drawn on an account that has nothing in it. The Federal Reserve is committing fraud. But here's one of the biggest secrets of them all. Before the establishment of the Federal Reserve, there was no need for personal income tax. The Federal Reserve was created in 1913, and that very same year, the Constitution was amended to allow income tax. Do you really think this was just a coincidence? Ask yourself. I think we can leave it there for a second. This is a, a fun episode, actually. He he did a whole walkthrough on um, the finances of the United States, so debt ceiling is for another time. So, as he mentioned, who does own the Fed? Let me see if I can do this as uh, yeah, better do. So I did. I posted an infographic today about BlackRock and who who owns the world and you. And uh, the lead off um, slide is uh, it's five slides. There's I could break down every industry, but what most of us need to know is between BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, uh, they own a percentage of all these uh, particular banks that he mentioned in his uh, presentation of what the banks do in terms of the fractional banking reserve, uh, which is a concept that is discussed in many economic courses, but is rarely uh, delved into uh, to any large degree. So, for example, uh, Chase Manhattan or Chase, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, it used to be Chase Manhattan, 20% uh, of its ownership is by uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. This is as of... Uh, Oh, or early November, so like say November first. Uh, Bank uh, Bank of America is seventeen and a half. Citi is twenty point nine percent. Wells Fargo is nineteen point eight. Uh, uh, Bank of uh, New York Mellon is nineteen point one. Uh, U.S. Bank is seventeen point six. Uh, Fifth Third is twenty five point two. PNC is nineteen point eight. M and T Bank is twenty four point seven. Um, Trust Bank is 19.6, Key Corp is 25.7, and Capital One Bank is this is the 10 largest uh, entities is 28.6. And and of course, and there's other banks like Morgan Stanley, uh, Goldman Sachs that are owned. Also, their their stocks are owned by BlackRock and Mentor, but roughly about 20% ownership, and it varies between whether BlackRock or Vanguard owns the very most. Usually be somewhere between six and nine percent. Uh, sometimes they're, you know, a little higher, a little lower. But in State Street, kicks in usually somewhere between three and a half to five percent, and that's pretty consistent. And that's just for bank ownership. And then if you start looking at international banks, the largest banks are all, uh, as it turns out, their uh, mutual fund holdings are so HSBC, um, Bank of China. Um, I'd have to look at this a little closer. Uh, the construction bank and other, um, all of them are the largest banks in the world, supposedly, uh, China banks. And they're roughly on uh, through mutual funds 
to the tune of about two to three percent, all by Vanguard. Uh, Chinese uh, ownership is very opaque. Um, they don't necessarily want anybody looking at it. So if we look at uh, another uh, example would be uh, farm ownership. Uh, let's see if I can get this up to a size I can read. So, for example, farm ownership. Um, uh, Sinopharm is only, uh, uh, I guess you could say Sinopharm and uh, Genetech Roach are only 2.5% ownership. But if you look at AbbVie, Janssen, Moderna, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Merck, um, Pfizer, uh, Gilead, they're all owned in roughly over double digits, either somewhere between 10 and 20, 25%. Um, and it, when you're looking at the pharma ownership, you have, it's much more complex than other ones like Novavax, BioNTech, Amgen, um, Lilly. Uh, Amgen and Lilly are owned uh, seven, uh, 22 and 17%. So what you'll typically see in every industry, the U.S. health industry, for example, uh, Anthem, United Health, HSSC, uh, CVS, they're all... It's all roughly around 20%. It varies very little if you, when you start digging into it. It's almost consistency. Those three. And by the way, uh, other bigger, big shareholders are these banks themselves. For example, like uh, Bank of uh, New York Mellon, uh, Bank of America, Chase. With health, health insurance, it's T. Rowe Price is the big, uh, big player there. They own anywhere from... Uh, on a low side, about three and a half percent, all the way up to seven and a half percent. In capital world, investors also is a big uh, player. Uh, in companies like Molina, uh, Cigna, and then there's other ones that are private held, like uh, Kaiser Permanente and Independent Independence Health Group. So there's hard to, it's hard to know what's going on there because, but they are big players in the, in that particular field. Looking at food ownership, the uh, same thing, but it's a little less. Um, a lot of there's a lot of private institution, uh, private held companies. Uh, Mars, Cargill, uh, JBS uh, is uh, international, um, owned by J JNF, uh, 100%, which is a Brazilian company. I think uh, the Batista family. Mars is held by the Mars family. Private uh, Cargill family owns Cargill, 88%. Uh, big players in Kraft Heinz is Berkshire Hathaway at 26%, uh, Coca-Cola 9%, but uh, companies like PepsiCo, uh, is, uh, PepsiCo and Coca-Cola are owned owned by Black BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street to the tune of 18 to 20%. So it just gives you an idea, and then uh, on each one, so I posted a link to this whole uh, concept. And the media companies too are, are similarly similarly situated uh, with regards to ownership. And what I'm trying to get at is is that <clears throat> once you know who owns you, it's a, it, it becomes an interesting uh, little game to see how much they are uh, driving uh, the situation that's going on. Um, for example. Uh, Zero Hedge posted an article today called "Is Jerome Powell's Time Up?" It's uh, by uh, by quote the Raven, as in quote the Raven, nevermore. 
and so it makes for a good. Uh, they they do there's a, their uh, analysis is generally hidden behind a payroll a pay a pay wallet substack, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, so they did an interview yesterday about uh, uh, the U.S. economy is it irreversibly broken and staggeringly corrupt. Yes, yes it is. So Powell is probably going to get replaced because, well, uh, they they got to find another uh, another moron to put in front of it. And uh, uh, this this moron has uh, has a name, Lael Bernard, for two reasons. She's a uh, she is exceptionally dovish, even more so than Powell or his predecessor Janet Yellen. Yeah, notice we've had two women decide to, that they they have put in front of the Fed. And Janet Yellen is now at our treasury. Um, not saying anything about women per se, but it just seems pretty interesting that um, we we put we've suddenly put uh, women in charge of money, and of course they're not really in charge of anything. They're just they're just dupable suckers that take the position because it has the perks of being on a private jet and flying around and acting like they're really important. Uh, two, she's a woman which wins you points with the woke Democratic administration, of course. And the, the big money shot, though, is leaving behind the fact that doing anything to move us towards MMT, which is modern monetary theory, which is basically if you can control your debt, uh, or when I say control your debt, in other words, as long as you control your, uh, and by control I mean, in other words, you can defend yourself, uh, you can print up as much money as you want. It doesn't matter to these people, which is bullshit because you have to be able those bonds that the, the Fed has to get hocked on the market. Uh, people have to buy what you're selling. If people stop buying what you're selling, uh, <laughs> there's going to be an epic collapse of, of the likes of which the United States has never, ever dealt with. It's going to probably make Germany Germany in the 1920s look like a look like a, a minor event uh, because we are the world's we're, we we were the world's reserve currency and uh, the world has been financing our debt and we have irresponsible politicians who continue to throw uh, you know throw around well we can pay for free stuff there is no such thing as free stuff as the, the prior guest Mike Maloney uh, uh, laid out very clearly. Uh, but politicians are really, they're just shysty hustlers and most of them understand this very well, but they know people like to be told what they want to hear, which is they want to be told that they can, they can have free health care and they can have, have, uh, their educational loans paid off and everything is glorious and happy as long as they're in charge. It's such utter bunk and bullshit, but of course we have dupable, succorable people, or rather, we have people that like to put blinders on to the inconvenient truths and don't want to, uh, let's just say, assess those truths. They know damn good and well that isn't the way the world works. But if you're young and gullible, you, you like to pretend that you can play make-believe with other people's hard-earned work. And, of course, they'll say, well, you're selling my future away. And that's true. And we also have older people that like to huckster this stuff. That's why anybody in Congress who is, is does not understand the responsibility they have in order to maintain 
a balanced budget or do anything of that sort. Um, the fact that you can't just spend wildly money that you don't have, that doesn't exist. The assets of the United States are basically in its land and its resources. Um, there used to be a time prior to, uh, like you said, the Fed, but even more so the 1933 or so, FDR decided to make it so that you could not exchange your uh, dollars for gold anymore. So, yeah, liberals, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was the one that screwed you over. Uh, you might want to just realize that, that he was an asshole, too. And so was Wilson. It always happens under uh, liberal administrations, supposedly liberal or progressive administrations. Wilson was nothing but a racist, but he got in there. And, of course, while he was around, uh, the Federal Reserve turned into what it was. Uh, during during aftermath of World War One, we did collect a lot of gold. We had a substantial amount of gold bullion. If you're, there's a couple of histories out there that shows the amount of uh, change in uh, the gold that we had in our stores, which actually made us a pretty uh, made us uh, the superpower that we were, uh, because people obviously when you're holding gold. That's very important. Um, it's a it's a stable uh, store of uh, value. And that's why it's money, or why it can be money. Money can be land and properties too. But of course, we have people that have uh, are inflating away our uh, our value and our wealth, and they're stealing from you. They're stealing your time and efforts. In this regard, this isn't the, the thing. Is is people will say, well, that's because of capitalism. We need more socialism. So retarded. They don't understand anything what they're talking about. Uh, it isn't, this isn't about capitalism. This is about a pure corruption and cronyism and, and the top-down authoritarianism that these people want to put on everybody. So anyway, so uh, this girl, they said in the, their analysis is uh, that it only accelerates our country's path to destruction. And I'm interested, though, in, in, in your thoughts. So he's asking for thoughts, but they already have their thoughts on this idea of what's going on and what's going to go on. And, it, and it's true. They're, we are accelerating towards destruction. But here's the from October 13th, they wrote the two fallacies that will devastate the U.S. are playing out right in front of our eyes. And they got a picture of AOC and uh, Nancy Pelosi. So you got the old bitch and you got the new self-delusional bitch doing the, doing the same thing. So uh, our, central, our central banking model, the politics in this country, is our inability to look past the next couple of days and into the longer term. In fact, our inability to focus on the future could be what comes back to devastate our country over time. So, yeah, and then it's behind a paywall, so I'm not going to go through all that. So I'm going to leave it there for today. I think uh, 30 minutes is enough. Uh, maybe I'll come back to this a little later and follow up. Uh, thank you for listening and um, enjoy your day.